Welcome to the Between the Mics podcast. I'm one half of your team, Ty Ferguson. I'm the other half, Austin Smith. And we are coming to you tonight to break down the big season opening win over the Clemson Tigers last Saturday night. And then we will get into a little breakdown of this upcoming Saturday's home opener against the UAB Blazers. So let's just get right into it. Um, Obviously, huge, huge, huge win last Saturday in Charlotte. Um, Anytime that you can beat a program like Clemson and pretty much, I mean, beat them pretty convincingly in every aspect of the game other than the scoreboard, which I know that's where it matters most is what the final score ends up being. But anyone who watched that game... Well, we beat them there too. (laughs) Anyone who watched that game really just... We dominated this game from start to finish up front. um, Total team effort. Really, really impressed with how our defense played. Yeah, I would say overall... Our defense looks better than their defense. Our offense looks better than their offense. And I would give them the slight edge in special teams just because we had uh, the muffed punt, and then we also had the missed field goal. Mm -hmm. But the margin there was smaller than what the apparent uh, margin was between our offense and their offense, and then our defense and their defense. Uh, Both offenses have taken a lot of slack uh, over the weekend uh, for poor performances, but I really do think it was – uh, much more the case of two great defenses battling it out. I think a lot of times we can just be we can be bored easily, and when t- two teams aren't scoring, I think the easy thing to say is that the offenses aren't performing well. But going into the game, every single analyst uh, that you'd listen to on any network was talking about how the best two units in this game overall were the front sevens for both teams, and I think that played out. Um, I do think, though, I'm going to dive in a little bit to the uh, the box score from the game, that our offense did put on a much better display than theirs, despite the fact that both teams didn't register a single offensive touchdown. So you go through uh, the drives from the game, and we had 10 offensive drives. They had 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we only had eight where I would say the goal of the drive was to score points. Um, the drive to end the first half – we were just trying to eat the clock. Mm-hmm. Drive to end the game, we were just trying to eat the clock. So that leaves us with eight drives where our goal was to go go down and score points. Two of those, we had potential scoring drives. One was a missed field goal. The other one was a uh, made field goal. Uh, we had two drives where running the clock was a goal, like I said. So that was uh, out of the ten. But out of the eight, so two that were potential scoring drives. One drive that ended in a turnover uh, to start the second half. JT yeah. throwing the interception on our side of the field, which our defense – stood up to the task, pushed them out of field goal range. And that was, I think, just outside of the defensive touchdown that we scored, that was probably the biggest moment of the game. Yeah. Um, and then we had five drives that ended in punts. And only, despite, you would think, only scoring three offensive points, that we would have had a lot more three and outs. But we only had two three and outs the whole game. We had drives that were stalling out. Yeah. Compare that to Clemson. They had 11 drives. Uh, no drives where scoring wasn't the goal. So out of the 11, they had uh, three drives that ended in three and outs. Really four, one of them, one of their drives, uh, we had a passing interference on their first down. So that gave them the first, uh, another first down, and then they went three and out on that next. Uh, so maybe don't count it, but really it should. Uh, three drives end in turnovers, one for a touchdown. One end in a field goal, and four end in punts. More notably, in the second half, here were their offensive possessions. Punt, 
uh, a negative yardage three and out, a negative yardage three and out, a field goal, and a turnover on downs. So what was already a monstrous performance by our defense in the first half uh, became even more so in the second half. And just another note on how our offense, I think, despite the box score looked better, we were obviously able to run the ball on them. They weren't able to run on us. Uh, They put up two yards uh, rushing on us. Some of that is sack yardage, but uh, they weren't really able to run on us, and they really didn't even try. They had uh, one guy carry for uh, one rush, and then we had uh, two other guys carry for four uh, carried the ball four times. Uh, Dixon had one rush for 10 yards. Shipley, four for seven yards. Pace, four for seven yards. So they only ran the ball nine times total. So mm-hmm. they knew that it was uh, yeah. <laughs> fruitless to even try. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about it last week that we knew coming into this game, whoever was going to win the game was going to have to be able to block the other team's D-line. Um, thankfully for us, our offensive line showed up and showed out on – Saturday night. I mean, they didn't put together a perfect game, um, but only allowing one sack all night um, late, and I think it was in the fourth quarter before they ever got to us and got JT on the ground. Absolutely phenomenal. We rushed the ball for 121 yards on 31 attempts. So, I mean, we're always going to, we're never going to give up on the run. We're not a team that's going to abandon it. When, when it, all the way, when it comes down to it, I think Georgia's always going to be a team that's going to be run first because of the stable of backs. I think Zamir White had arguably, for me, the best game he's played in a Georgia uniform. Ran the ball yeah. tough. Vision looked great, yeah. which I think has always been a weakness for him. Uh, had that one run in the second half where he pushed it out to the left side yeah. uh, on that jump cut. Was able to get, I think, about I 15 mean, to 20 just, yards on that. Just running physical. I mean, just running over people. There at the end on that final drive where we had to get first downs. We were giving the ball to him. They knew it was coming, and he was just running through people. He was not going to be stopped. And this isn't to pretend that our offense had a great performance. No. This is just to say that I think the narrative coming out was that both offenses sucked. Where I think it, I saw this tweet, and I think it was accurate, Georgia's looked like an offense that was struggling against a great defense. Clemson's offense looked like an offense that was overwhelmed by an elite defense. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that is true we just looked like we were struggling. Uh, our drives were stalling out. They weren't ever even starting drives. Yeah. We had against them. We had seven sacks compared against their one against us. Yeah. We had six guys uh, who had those seven sacks. So it wasn't just coming from a couple of guys. It was yeah. from all of our defense. It was from coverage sacks. It was from blitzing guys. It was on however you want to call it, whatever coverage, whatever scheme. Yeah. Four guys on the line, three guys on the line. We were able to get pressure uh, pressure on DJ. Yeah, that's the big – and you just touched on it. That's the big key for me. We talked about it last week. I mean, they had guys like Justin Ross coming back, um, all-star receiver, all-American type receiver. He had four catches in his return. Um, we know in, in Nada had 110 yards, most of them coming on one play. I think he had like a 50-yard, 40-yard catch there and to start the fourth quarter when they got their field goal. Um, but that's the big key for me is that we were able to drop seven or eight guys back into our secondary and help out a young secondary who we know is inexperienced, and still we were able to get pressure on DJ with three, four-man pressures. I mean, that's just absolutely amazing work. It helps to have a young secondary when you can drop so many guys and know you're still going to affect the quarterback with only rushing three, rushing four. So that's an outstanding job. I saw a stat that was pretty telling. Um, 
Clemson ran 60 offensive plays on Saturday night during in that football game, 30 of which, so half of their plays, were either went for zero or negative yards. Well, half of their plays did not gain yards. <laughs> That's a crazy stat. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that in a game. Um, just suffocating defense. Just we've talked. We keep going on it. The front seven, the the defensive line, just getting pressure on that. Jordan Davis eating up double teams. Nicobe Dean blitzing and running people down. Channing Tindall had a couple great open field tackles. Quay Walker played well in coverage. Um, just, it was almost a perfect defensive game. Take away some pass interference penalties, and I don't. I can't possibly think of anything that. I could think of that we could have done better on defense on Saturday night. So we've gotten all the optimism out of the way. Uh, I'm just going to throw one more little optimistic nugget in there, and then we can go to the things that kind of concerned us. Uh, Brock Bowers, true freshman, yeah. was our leading receiver. Yeah. He was involved from the get-go. Uh, I think he had six catches. Uh, yeah. Six catches for 43 yards. And I mean, if you remember from last week, Brock Bowers is – who I touched on when we talked about our newcomers that we were most excited about. I made a note to point out that I was really excited to watch him. And then he comes out in the very first game of his true freshman campaign and leads the game in receiving yards for so, Georgia. Yeah, that would lead one to believe that once Starnell comes back that we will be seeing some two tight end sets. Oh, absolutely. So, and that uh, that's exciting. But, yeah, so what we got the optimism out of the way. What were some things that uh, kind of concerned you from the game on Saturday? We're still a bit a little banged up. Um, we still got to get healthy, and I think that'll come. We have a few weeks now um, to really work on getting healthy before we get into the meat of conference play in October. Um, Jermaine Burton, he was lacking. You could really tell. I mean, he was playing, but you could really tell he wasn't the normal player that we saw all yeah, last year. Yeah, and Kirby year. even touched on that, yeah. uh, that he wasn't completely yeah. healthy out there, and that's why he Absolutely. wasn't involved. Yeah, Kirby said today in his press conference, previewing this Saturday's matchup that Georgia's had roughly 45 practices so far in the preseason and just in total leading up to today. Um, And Jermaine has only practiced about 15 times. So, I mean, he's only practiced 15 times. He's still kind of trying to get over that preseason injury. Um, He'll come. He's going to be an explosive player. And then outside of Pickens, our probably most exciting receiver coming into the year, at least uh, when you include experience, along with potential, would be Kyrus Jackson. Yeah, he and didn't he, d- he didn't snap. play a single offensive snap, only came in for punt returns. Yeah. And I'm so. assuming that, you know, that was just because he has the surest hands on the team, was probably meant to go back there and fair yeah. catch the ball. Um, I expect to see both of them probably play more this Saturday, hopefully get like work a few kinks out. I mean, obviously, UAB is a, a good team for a Conference USA, but I don't think they're anything on our level, so... Hopefully we can allow those receivers to work back into game shape. Or um, if they can't, another week to get completely yeah, healthy. Yeah. Uh, so either way, it's a positive uh, in that regard. Uh, something that kind of concerned me was, despite the fact that we had some wide receivers out, uh, our passing attack uh, attack was definitely one-dimensional in the fact that I felt like we only had horizontal passes the whole entire game. Uh, no vertical uh, attempts, really, that I can think of off the top of my head. That may have been out of our game plan to try to spread them wide, uh, alleviate their uh, guys who are so talented on the outside to help us at the end of the game be able to rush up the gut. That may have been in our game plan. Uh, 
Or it may have had to do more with Clemson yeah. and how talented their defense so, is. Uh, this is probably the best defensive front that we will face unless we do get to square off against Alabama uh, in the SEC championship. Yeah. I think the three elite defensive fronts in college football are Georgia, Clemson, and Alabama. Yeah. Uh, they were returning a secondary that was uh, had the most uh, returning starts in college football. Yeah. So obviously a very talented group. So that may have had more to do with them than it had to do with us, and you would expect that to get better. Uh, among some of the competition that we're facing in the coming weeks. But it was still a cause for concern because it's something, as a Georgia fan, that you've seen in the past that can be kind of scary. You don't want to go back to, you know, checking down to these two-yard attempts every single time. I think uh, we had like 4.5 yards per attempt uh, on on the day. Yeah, I would – I haven't seen the end zone film, obviously. I'm not a film junkie. I'm not – I'm not even going to sit here and talk like I know everything there is to know about it, but I would have to assume that Clemson was playing a lot of two deep safeties to try to take away our vertical passing game. Um, I would probably credit a lot of it to Clemson, just the coverages that they were getting. Um, so I think JT, he played a pretty smart game. I mean, he was 22 of 30. So I think I would credit a lot of the lack of explosive vertical plays to just we're still banged up. A lot of the guys that we would be counting on to be explosive and be running those vertical passing game is we just have, we don't have them right now. Um, so we're having to use some horizontal passing game just to have a passing attack. And then I would also just credit Clemson. Just yeah. they were probably just running coverages that it makes more sense to check it down and take the short route rather than force something into double coverage deep. Just one other cause for concern, uh, kind of a mixture. Uh, I did feel like we were outplayed on special teams. We yeah. had the, the muff punt, which was a little bit flukish. We did have the missed field goal, which was disappointing. Um, I think would have given our team a little bit more uh, confidence there in the second half. Uh, and it was only from, I think, about 35 yards. So yeah. that was a disappointing miss. Uh, and then uh, we were, were the more penalized team, uh, which is always just a sign of who's more disciplined. Yeah. Um, and so you would like to see the penalties go down. I think we had 10 on the night. Two of those, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, came from Keeley, uh, who was one of the few players that I did feel like got outplayed mm-hmm. on Saturday, uh, which his first collegiate start, uh, he's going to take his lumps against a talented, uh, you know, wide receiving court in Clemson. Uh, so it was nice to see him out there battling. But one of those passing interferences uh, that he committed in the end zone was pretty egregious. Yeah. Uh, so we just need to get more discipline on that front. I'm excited to get Keeley some reps this Saturday, because you can tell he's going to be a stud in the future. Yeah. Just needs to get more reps under his belt. Hopefully uh, he'll take on Shropshire this weekend. I know uh, we, we'll probably see Darion in that matchup more often mm-hmm. than not, but it, I'd love to see Keeley on there to get him some good reps against their best receiver. Absolutely. Um, I mean, one thing I would like to touch on, just I know we're done with the positives, but Jake Gamarda, he absolutely had a stellar game. He did. Um, there in the first half when we were going back and forth with field position, um, I think he hit two punt punts there in the first quarter inside their 10, which really helped helped our defense out, backing them up deep, making um, them have to go the full field. Uh, that was really, really nice to see. Um, he had five punts for 217 yards, averaging 43 yards a punt. Um, he's a weapon. I mean, he was an All-American preseason for a reason, so it's really nice to see that he was performing well and really helped um, – Nice to see that in a close game we have a weapon at, for punt at punter that can really help us set up some good field position. But uh, so overall, I'm going to just give my thoughts on the game. Yeah. Uh, 
anytime you can beat a top five program, yeah. uh, despite what uh, the results may look like, despite the uh, below average offensive performance, uh, you'll always take that because now that was really that was the toughest game on our schedule. Uh, you have to think that the only game that we should be competitive in, or that the, uh, the opposing team should be competitive with us, is Florida uh, and perhaps Auburn. Not saying we won't slip up against some of these other opponents, but those are the ones that theoretically should, I would say, have betting lines that should be below seven points. Yeah. Uh, other than that, we should take care of business. And so it's nice to get your toughest opponent out of the way to begin with, especially when you have all of these injuries, and we should get better offensively as the season goes uh, goes on. Uh, I'm sure we'll have other injuries come about as the season goes on, but hopefully they won't be all in one position, uh, position group like it is right now. Uh, like I said uh, at the beginning, I think that our defense was dominant, and I think our passing def- our our pass rush is going to be what gets the headline with the seven sacks. But I really think the position or what should get the headlines is our run defense. They yeah. only had nine attempts, uh, and it's what made them become one dimensional and allowed our pass rush to be as dominant as it was. Um, and, yeah, I really think that's it. I think that put us in a good driver's seat uh, t- to uh, have an inside route to the college football playoff. Yeah, absolutely. Just final thoughts for me. You said it really well, just suffocating defense. All year long since January after we played Cincinnati, everything everyone's wanted to talk about was, oh, Georgia's offense will have a chance to be really explosive. All those receivers, all those running backs, returning offensive linemen. I mean, they finally have a quarterback in JT Daniels. Um, But Saturday night, I think, was a really, really good way to remind people and remind just Georgia fans in general that we still are built on the defensive side of the football. Kirby Smart, as long long as he's going to be here, we're going to have a dominant defense. I'm never worried about that side of the ball. We're going to stop the run. We're going to rush the passer. We're going to make teams one-dimensional to where – at more and more weeks of the season go on, we're going to see teams just not be able to run the ball on us. And those pass rushers, Adam Anderson, Trayvon Walker, Nolan Smith, just able to peel their ears back and go. When there's no threat of a team running the ball and pass rushers who are per, like made for rushing the passer can just focus on getting to the quarterback, I, just, I think it's going to be a monster season again for the defense to allow the offense to work its kinks out. And you said it best. When you beat a program like Clemson. Yeah, yeah. you got to think how many, you know, on the def- how many offenses are we going to face that are going to be as talented as Clemson's was? I think that we might face maybe a handful of uh, teams that might have a better offensive line. But as far as talent across the board on offense, mm-hmm. this was the most talented offense we're going to face this year. Absolutely. Florida and Auburn have a lot of talent on that side of the ball. Uh Kentucky might have the best offensive line out of all of those, but across the board, Clemson has the best offense that we're probably going to face uh, as far as the talent perspective goes, and we didn't allow them to score a single touchdown. Yeah, and I mean, for the last six years, the two marquee programs in college football have been Alabama and Clemson. The fact that we were able to beat Clemson on a national stage where they've dominated teams in the past, you always see Clemson playing in these primetime national media games where – They've looked really well. They've blown people yeah, out. in their backyard in Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that we beat them without scoring an offensive touchdown, I think it says more about the type of team we can have, I mean, optimistically, than it does pessimistically. I, just, I think 
that it sets us up for a deep, deep run this season without a slip up. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say there's no reason that it shouldn't be 12-0 Georgia, 12-0 Alabama playing in December. Now that we've gotten by the toughest opponent we have on our schedule, I would be willing to predict that. As, I mean, I'm ready to go out on a limb and say it. I mean, yeah. there's, if as long as we handle our business, no one should beat us until we meet Alabama in December. Yep. Florida should be the toughest test. Absolutely. Uh, also posing a, a, a serious threat. Here's a interesting fact for you on the night. So we had seven sacks. Mm-hmm. How many games do you think we've ever – or what do you think our highest sack total is uh, as a program in our history? Eleven. So it's actually eight. Eight. Oh, wow. Do you know when that was? I do not. That was last year in the bowl game against Cincinnati. So our last two games, we've had eight sacks and seven sacks, eight sack game being a uh, – a team high in our history, wow. and then we followed it up with seven. So I do know that in uh, in 2019 we had 22 sacks as a team for the season. Um, so the fact that we already have seven this year, and I think in 2019, like I said, we had 22. Just, you can tell that it's been a conscious effort to improve the pass rush. So definitely. So let's put Clemson behind us. It was a great win. It's an emotional win, and it's one we're going to be thinking about for a long time. But we do play a game this Saturday. We're back between the hedges, back in front of 93,000 people for the first time since 2019. Um, I know personally I'm going. I can't wait to be back between the hedges. Um, UAB, solid solid team for the Conference USA. Won the Conference USA last year. Um, have some guys coming back. They're bringing back all five starting offensive linemen from last year's team. So unlike Clemson, they're going to have a veteran offensive line. Um, had a, a dominant week one win, yeah. uh, a shutout, yeah, uh, 31 absolutely. to nothing. They have a two, um, Dwayne McBride, probably going to be their starting running back, uh, 220 yards, or 220 pounds, I should say, um, and averaged over nine yards per carry last season in his Conference USA schedule. Um, a fifth-year senior at quarterback um, who threw for 320 yards and two touchdowns in a week one win. So yep. they That's have some great deep ball accuracy yeah. on uh, those touchdowns. They have some veteran guys. And usually when you look at non-conference opponents like this in a game where they're going to play a, a big-time school like Georgia, you want those guys who have played a lot of football, and UAB definitely has it. So I don't think it's a team that you can just line up and just guarantee you're going to beat. 50 to 0 like we've seen teams in the past but I do think that their talent versus our talent they're going to be severely overmatched Um, I do think that their offensive philosophy a lot like us begins with running the ball Um, and as we saw Saturday night against Clemson I don't think any team in the country is going to be able to run the ball in the higher classifications of college football let alone Conference USA so I do think we're going to be able to take that away on Saturday afternoon and turn them into a team who has to throw it 30 to 40 times. And yeah, so. it is exciting, like you said, uh, when you play a Conference USA program like this uh, to get what seems to be like a premier one. Yeah. Uh, last week they had 518 total yards despite two turnovers, uh, whereas they held uh, Jacksonville State to only 154 yards and only 88 passing. And – uh, like you said, their quarterback uh, threw for 320 yards and two touchdowns on 17 to 21. So, I think that'll be give our secondary a good chance to, despite it not being an elite program, 
to at least be playing a competent offense that should pose at least somewhat of a threat there on the outside. Just give some of those guys in our defense, uh, in our secondary, uh, some actual like meaningful reps. And like I said, I hope that Keeley hopes uh, can get some reps against Shropshire uh, because he did seem like he needs them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like you, you spoke on Shropshire, um, that would be talking about Trey Shropshire. He is a returning wide receiver for UAB. He is their big play threat. Uh, last season, he averaged 22 yards per catch last year. Um, and then their first game against Jacksonville State, he had five catches, 128 yards for a touchdown. So he's obviously the main target for him. Um, they do have two returning tight ends. I think both of them are fifth-year seniors, Hayden Pittman and Garrett Prince. Those will be their three main guys in the passing game with Shropshire, Pittman, and Prince. Um, so probably a lot of Latavius Brini is going to have to have another good game. He had one on Saturday. He'll probably be covering a lot of their tight ends off the slot, a lot of linebackers in coverage if they're going to line their, the tight ends down on the line of scrimmage. Um so it's going to be another test. Hopefully it allows the secondary to grow. Um, but just, I mean, it's going to be a yeah. tough game. I think it's going to be low low scoring early. I think they're going to give us a fight early in the game, come out, try to make a statement, maybe be about a 17-point game at halftime or something. At, at some point, though, I just think our talent is just going to be way too much for them. Agreed. The thing I'm looking at most – for in this game is uh, like we've touched on in the secondary, but I would love to see some of these young guys at receiver get some meaningful reps. And as we touched on at the beginning of the podcast, perhaps get get guys like Jermaine and Kyrus healthy and in some meaningful reps, or if they're not quite ready, just give them another week to rest before the SEC uh, slate starts the following yeah. week. Yeah. For me, just what I want to see from this game on Saturday, I want to see some explosive plays I want to see continuing just really strong play from the front seven, stopping the run, um, limiting their explosive plays. I think if we can get out of there with – I think we should be able to hang 40 on them. I think anything less than 40 points, a couple of explosive plays, would be a disappointment for me. I do think we need to continue growing in the passing game and just on offense as we move deeper and deeper into the season. Um, but just looking at the spread, obviously we're both picking Georgia to win – the spread for this game is 26 points. Um, let's do that instead. Do you think Georgia will cover 26? Yeah, as you touched on, uh, I do think that it will be a close game for about the first quarter or so. Uh, historically, against these types of opponents, I think Georgia tends to start kind of slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes you look at – if I'm sure some opposing fan bases can look at the box score there at the bottom or the little ESPN ticker – be like, why is Georgia only up seven against Eastern Michigan? Uh, I, th- I think we have those types of games a lot of times. Uh, but by the end of the game, I do think that we uh, should be able to win by four touchdowns. Yeah, or more. I agree. I think we're going to make them one-dimensional. I think we're going to, because we're going to make them one-dimensional, I think our guys up front will just be able to just tee off and just rush the passer, hopefully sack this kid for UAB four or five times. Um, I think we're going to force a few turnovers just because we're going to speed him up and just make him force a ball into coverage, maybe get an interception or two, a fumble recovery, something along those lines. I think we're going to have some explosive plays on offense. I think we're going to be able to run the ball more effectively. I think we build a good lead, probably 
get up a couple scores and cover, but it's going to be I think it's going to be a close cover. I think we beat them by about 28, kind of what you said. I think we get up big, run the ball, get out of there, and move on towards South Carolina next week. I could see uh, like a 24 to 10 first half uh, in our favor uh, with them with us shutting them out in the second half. Uh, hopefully, winning something like 45 to 10. Yeah. Uh, hope that doesn't seem too optimistic. Uh, it would be a, a sign of concern if for the second week in the role uh, in a row if uh, our offense didn't have any explosive plays. Although I don't uh, expect that to be the case. But yeah, but so let's just go ahead and get into the rest of the SEC picks. Um, just to recap what we picked last week, real fast, um, we both picked Georgia to cover and win the game last week. Obviously, as we touched on to start this podcast, we did both of those things. As Clemson was the favorite, we picked Bowling Green against Tennessee, who was favored by thirty-four and a half. Bowling Green did cover. Um, we picked Louisiana. Which, or, that's great. That's, yeah. That made my weekend almost just yeah. as much as us winning. So. We picked Louisiana Tech to cover the 23.5 versus Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State won by one point, so they did, in fact, cover Louisiana Tech. We both picked Kentucky to cover, Arkansas to cover. That was both correct. Uh, Missouri did not cover when we picked them to cover, so that was one miss. Auburn obliterated Akron. Florida did not cover the spread against Florida Atlantic, which we thought we, they would. A&M covered. Vandy, we had no line, but we both thought that they would win, which they, in fact, did not. They lost to ETSU. Uh, a pretty uh, convincing match. Yikes. Um, UCLA beat LSU pretty convincingly. Um, we both knew going into the Alabama-Miami game what was in store for Miami. Um, I guess Vegas didn't. They were only favored by 18. We knew it was going to be a bloodbath. And then, as of the time of recording this podcast, it's still to be determined if Ole Miss will cover the 9.5 as we are recording this on Monday night, and they're getting set to kick off here in about 30 minutes. So maybe. Yeah, so overall, we we didn't really differ at all last week. Uh, That's the first time that that's happened. Uh, we both went seven and three on our picks, uh, seven and four if you include the, the Vandy game, but there was no spread on that. Uh, once we get the update on the Louisville Ole Miss game, uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll update. Uh, but let's get into this week. So this week we've got, uh, I believe, thirteen uh, games slated. Uh, like we we started with UGA, uh, Alabama, Birmingham coming to visit us. Uh, we're favored by twenty six. We both already touched on that. That we think that we will cover that. Uh, Next, we have Alabama State at Auburn. As of yet, there is no spread for this game, so unfortunately we cannot pick uh, for that. Uh, next, we have uh, Pitt at Tennessee. Pitt is actually favored by three points. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, I wasn't super impressed with Tennessee. Um, they started off really fast, but they kind of hit a lull there in the middle of the second quarter. Couldn't really run the ball effectively until later in the second half. Um, Joe Milton overshooting a lot of his receivers, and they were playing Bowling Green. Um, Pittsburgh's a Power 5 team. They're a decent Power 5 team from the ACC. I don't think that Tennessee's going to be able to run the ball as well. I don't think that they're going to be able to throw the ball all over the place like they were against Bowling Green. I'm picking Pittsburgh to cover the spread and beat Tennessee outright in Neyland Stadium. Yeah, uh, I'm going to pick... Uh, Tennessee, uh, maybe not even necessarily to win, but uh, just to cover that th- three-point spread. Uh, I picture this being a, a very close game and coming down to the wire. Um, but I, I think it's more likely than not that Tennessee will win. 
uh, this Saturday. Uh, next, we got South Carolina at East Carolina. Uh, East Carolina is actually uh, favored by two. Uh, what did you have for that game? I have South Carolina. I think I don't really know a whole lot about East Carolina, but I think I know just looking at South Carolina's roster, they have a couple five-star defensive linemen they actually recruited and won the battle over us and Zach Pickens and Jordan Birch. Um, I think those guys should be able to feast on an ECU O-line that will probably be overmatched. Um, and South Carolina didn't look bad in their week one. No, yeah, they looked win. very good. So, I mean, I think they'll be able to move the ball, and I think they'll win and cover the spread. Yeah, I'm in agreement there. Uh, I think uh, South Carolina had uh, a great opening week, and I look for them to continue that this week against East Carolina. Uh, then we have Florida going to South Florida. Uh, Florida is favored by 29. Uh, I do think Florida will win yeah. in a pretty convincing manner, uh, but I'm going to take so- uh, South Florida on this spread. Okay. Unlike last week, we're differing in a lot of places. USF stunk against NC State in their week one loss, so I'm going to take Florida to cover. Gotcha. Uh, next, we got A&M at Colorado. A&M is favored by 17. A&M kind of, I feel like, had a close first half there yeah. for a little bit before having a uh, like pretty dominant second half and pulling away and ended up covering. Uh, I'm going to pick A&M to cover this game. Uh, I see them winning by about three to four touchdowns. Yeah, I agree. I think A&M had their sleepwalk game. I think that's past them. I think they're a really good team, and I think they're going to cover here. Mercer at Bama, there's currently no spread. Um, so the next game we got on the docket. Whatever is, it would be, they would cover. Yeah, yeah. just assume that Bama would cover, even if it's a uh, 50-point spread. So uh, Texas at Arkansas. Uh, Texas is favored by six and a half. Uh, I'm going to pick Texas to win by touchdown. So. I agree. Uh, Arkansas started off slow. Texas was impressive against a ranked team in their first game with Steve Sarkeesian. So I'm going to pick Texas here. Good deal. So next we have NC State versus Mississippi State. Mississippi State did not look good in week one. No. Um, NC State did look pretty good, like you said, against South Florida. Uh, NC State is favored by two and a half. Uh, I'm going to take NC State on that, and I can see it actually uh, becoming a blowout. Yeah, I'm going to take the Wolfpack. NC State's going to beat them. All right. Next, we've got Missouri versus Kentucky. Um, Kentucky really looked different than anything we've seen from them in the past. I think they had a couple explosive plays in the passing game. We've touched on their defense and what they look like up front. Missouri did not look very impressive um, in their opening week. So I'm going to pick Kentucky to cover their five-point spread. This really has nothing to do with uh, anything that I saw last week. Uh, like you said, Missouri did not look good last week. Kentucky did. Um, but I do think that, that was kind of uh, flukish on Missouri's part. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to uh, take them out right to win this game on Saturday. Okay. Next up, we got Austin P at Ole Miss. We couldn't find a line on this at the time, probably due to the fact that Mississippi has yet to play. Um, I do think Ole Miss will be able to beat Austin P pretty convincingly, though. Um, so I'm gonna just pick them to cover whatever the spread would be. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm just not I'm gonna abstain. Uh, <laughs> if it's a 57 point spread, I'm not gonna pick that. So. <laughs> uh, next, we got McNeese uh, State at LSU. No spread for that one either. Uh, sorry to disappoint there. Next, we got Vandy at Colorado State. Colorado State is favored by six and a half points. Sadly. And uh, even more sadly, I'm going to pick them to cover. So. Yeah, I am too. I don't. I don't have many words to say about Vanderbilt. It's it's bad watching yeah. them play. I'm very but. glad that they're very good at baseball, uh, but that in in academics, uh, 
but that's about all to bring to the table right now. Yeah, so. absolutely. <laughs> but with that finishing up the picks, that is going to do it for episode two of the 2021 season of Between the Mics. Um, again, we thank you all for listening. I know we got a lot of positive feedback from sharing it on social media this week that people were listening and just it's it's very much appreciated everyone who listens to this and yeah, shares very it thankful. and tells people about it we really enjoy doing this and want to keep it going so tell your friends share it on social media um spread the word obviously but with that i mean that's going to wrap it up for the uab podcast we'll be back next week to break down the first sec game night game between the hedges against the south carolina gamecocks uh, until that time, as always, go dogs. Go dogs.